Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBTQ inclusion and care. You can learn more at PostureShift.com. Also, we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going through the continued giving. So if you love the podcast and would like to become more involved, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash lifeonsideb. And now to continue with our episode. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Life on Side B podcast. Today, Grant and I are going to be talking with the incredible Johanna Marie. She's going to be giving us some great uh, conversation about the topic of deconstruction, what that word means today, uh, what that looks like in in journey of faith and have an opportunity to share some of that with all of you so that hopefully uh, we'll be able to to join in conversation together online about what that looks like in our lives right now. So Johanna Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for this discussion. I'm so excited too. It's going to be great. I feel like deconstruction has been on everyone's minds over the past, I don't know how many years it's been decade. Yeah. Been a hot topic for a minute. Um, and so I guess like the best place to start is to sort of figure out how to define deconstruction and how that relates to doubt. Um, so does anyone have any thoughts on that to start off? I mean, I think it's, it's kind of in the name, right? It's the breaking down of ideas you currently have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we kind of see through the, like the deconstruction lands, the Christ, particularly in the Christian world, the like Christian deconstruction landscape, what you do after those ideas have broken down or even while those ideas are breaking down can vary widely. Um, but it's literally the like taking apart and examining of you know your current understanding of the world and understanding of god and of christianity yeah that's such a great explanation had a conversation just this week um, with a friend that i used to work with and that was that was kind of the the gist of her question was um she's like i've seen a lot of talk about deconstruction in christianity Um, Do you think the source comes from pain and retaliation, a true desire for understanding, or somewhere in between? And I thought that was a really great way of looking at it, like what you just said, Johanna Marie, about uh, what you do after you've taken it apart and examined it can vary so greatly. And I think that that's kind of what she was getting at of, you know, are people responding to cultural things is it a matter of them really digging into the bible and saying hey this is very contradictory and it doesn't match what i actually believe Mm -hmm. Um, like is it about pain or is it just rebellion against god the way a lot of (laughs) conservatives and fundamentalists talk about deconstruction Um, but that idea of of what we do with it once we question Uh, I think is a super important thing for us to be able to examine and to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. I I also think like deconstruction refers to so many different kinds of experiences that 
oftentimes like that's part of the reason why people can have such widely differing perspectives on it or even like emotional reactions to the idea of deconstruction is it can include so many different journeys um i yeah. mean some of them are, are clearly very um and i've been i've been there before too but very like reacting emotionally to some traumatic things that happened um, and some of them are um, just sort of slowly coming to realize there's a disconnect here between what I believe and what I'm being taught and where I'm headed. And so being able to tease apart all those different stories is going to be really helpful to be able to discuss things. We, we got to figure out what we're talking about before we can actually have a productive conversation about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess jo Johanna Marie do you have anything specific that that you'd like to share as far as your personal journey with, with this idea of deconstruction and doubt yeah I mean I feel like if this might not necessarily be true but I feel like if you're a Christian right now <laughs> at some point most you should I don't know I am hesitant to say you should but like I feel like most people have gone through some period at least most people that I know have gone through some period of like is what i believe about the world and about god and about god and the world together true mm. um and you know i think for me first i feel like i was having this conversation with myself before we started really using the word deconstruction mm. which probably tells you that i'm old um <laughs> or not old but older um <laughs> Like 40 is not far away. So I'm receiving Bring that into it. my heart. Our, that's right. All I'm our kind 40 excited, plus actually. year old listeners are like, that is not old. <laughs> it is not that's old. Right. But then I like survey our landscape of like teenagers and like 20 year olds. And I'm like, you know, I feel pretty fresh and young that's and right. aware, but apparently I'm a grown person. I, I can't <laughs> believe it, honestly. Especially in the side B world. They tell me often I'm one of the mature right? I'm like, I'm 42. <laughs> right. Hold up just a second. That's You're so talking true. about me like I'm in my 70s. <laughs> but apparently we've seen some things, Becca. We've seen That's some things. <laughs> we have seen some things. Yes, we have. But, um, so I think, um, like I remember all the podcasts. Come, I don't. If you if you're a podcast listener, you probably remember the twenty teens Christian podcast coming out, or like post Christian podcast coming out, where people are talking about their process. And I remember being one of the, like early listeners to a lot of those things because I was along, you know, walking along the same journey. Um, I think for me, a lot of it did have to do with like sexuality, um, but. I'll, I'll be honest even more than sexuality a lot of it had to do with like race and racism mm. um you know i grew up in like a pretty concern i'm african-american a southern african-american mm -hmm. family's been here at least as far as we can track since like the 1860s probably before then but that's as far as we can like actually get information um my parents are very conservative um and were very conservative um we grew up in like very evangelical and charismatic like context. Um, so like there were some differences, I think between like white counterparts and black counterparts in these same contexts, because, you know, 
my parents were also still like i think one way we use one term we use now is like high identity mm-hmm. um, we're a very high identity african americans like we visited our family we participated in you know different traditions you know um we watched roots as a kid uh-huh. like growing up regularly like that was just like oh we're seven and what do we want to watch today i guess we want to watch roots or queen or rosewood um which um that's like the discussion of a massacre that happened in florida Mm. um in the 1920s kind of during that time where so these are things that we're so there's like this interesting narrative in the conservative evangelical world about race and racism in american history um that my family both adopted and challenged in some ways Mm. it's very much like yes racism is bad um and it definitely happens and it definitely still happens um at the same time there's still this like real belief in america as god's country as a christian Mm. nation and as that christians should um you know act in particularly like I don't want to say like dominion theology, but, but like, you know, we should enact our beliefs in the world for the good and glory of God, for the good of people and the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were always some challenges to that again, because we know black history and how Christians in American history have treated African-Americans. So that was always like something my parents were talking about and, wrestling with and things like that i think where they landed was more so that a there were like really huge changes in the civil rights movement and that was a big triumph triumph for christians yeah um and that the and that even while being black our primary identity was in christ which y'all might recognize that (laughs) term (laughs) Uh and if there are any difficulties or challenges the first thing you have to do is decide whether or not you're going to follow the scripture or follow the Bible. Um, But of course Mm -hmm. that's being defined in very particular ways. And it probably doesn't help that they were saved in like the 1970s, like Jesus movement, evangelical resurgence. Um, And so the Christian authorities that they're looking toward that like really brought them um like back into the church or in like ignited their personal relationship with God were people who weren't thinking about American history. Hmm. And I think there are some ways that there's like some cognitive dissonance in that. Um, And I loved history. And one thing my parents did instill in me is like, well, God is like, God is truth. So whatever is true, start there and like work your way to reconciling, um, you know, what that, what that looks like in your life. So as I was encountering challenges to like that political and theological narrative hmm. um, in history, it's like, well, was everyone who founded America Christian, or did Christians respond to the Holy to the calling of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. on how to treat their brother and sister in Christ? Um, when we read James, and James says, you know, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. What does that mean about these different people in Christian history who are lauded as heroes? and whose theology um, many different parts of the church follow like stringently um, and not only their, poli- their like religious theology but their political theology mm. um, yeah. you know 
my they were very supportive of like well let's look at history let's see what really happened let's look at a multitude of sources um and let's kind of have that dialogue so i think that made a huge difference that support for for me that made a huge difference that support for our basis is truth and that support for my parents of like this is what we're um we have a common ground basically to have these discussions on um and that's not necessarily the end of our relationship because as a black american we meet all kinds of people who have all kinds of who have very similar religious beliefs um but all kinds of different ways of working that out politically and that kind of thing um so that's kind of like the first place where i was really challenging like my understanding of christian history and american history um and what that meant for what like the beatitudes mean or what the book Mm -hmm. of james mean or when we're reading isaiah and this call to like um really like overturn like to end oppression and you know feed the poor um right. like what does that mean as christians if we're living in a place where we can vote and that kind of thing and this not to get super political but that's like literally the first experience of deconstruction that i had and it was very much alongside my parents um and able to challenge them and not that they changed their minds but they were able to like receive that challenge and walk with me through that um yeah. that's so, fascinating yeah okay go ahead no, no, no. Finish I, your thought, because that's that. Yeah, I got a lot I want to ask about that. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I, I was going to switch gears, so feel free to. Oh, ask. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just like hot take reaction, being also a woman in the South who was raised in that conservative evangelical environment, but being white, how similar, but also completely foreign. Like for me, it, it's been completely delayed that whole political deconstruction that like the, it sounds what I hear you saying is that it's really been just a part of your sanctification and your maturing as a person and as a follower of Christ that deconstructing issues around race has been second nature to your family and it's something you've done most of your life whereas for me it's been something that I've been doing for like six or seven years mm. like like just being aware of oh, we may live in the same place and worship the same Jesus and even have the same denominational name in our church name, but our experiences are so vastly different as far as when and how we've needed to break down what Mm -hmm. we believe versus what we see in the Bible. And it's just a good reminder for me that even though I feel like I've been doing all of this work and are seeing all of these things that for most of my black siblings, especially in the South, this is just how you lived your life. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for also sharing like how that's like impacting you. Cause I think that is one difference I've seen. In, it's like, well, I had to go to my parents and ask these questions at like 12. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, so those people were Christian. Those like when you see like a picture of a lynching in random southern town mm, um, right. that probably has a Native American name, actually, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. um, so that's a whole other discussion. White people in a city named after Cherokees right. lynching black at a lynching on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> right. after church, yeah. Yeah. right in front of a church with pastors. Like so, like like so, asking my parents, what do we do about that? That yeah. feels. <laughs> 
not like Jesus. Um, And I think, you know, there's like a conversation about forgiveness and a conversation about sanctification and a conversation about like what people really know and don't know. And also a conversation about like, maybe they're just not Christians and that's okay too. You know, the wheat and the tares, the Lord will sort it out (laughs) kind of, kind of a thing. Um, But yeah, having that at that and realizing when I talk to friends who are wrestling through this, that's just not, that wasn't every day. Maybe there were other topics that came up, Um, Mm. maybe like sexuality (laughs) that, you know, people had to like wrestle through or think about or that kind of thing. But it wasn't always a part of like the family process. Mm. And I think that that I know that for me, that made a difference, even though and, you know. I feel like my siblings were along the same process. Uh, my two older siblings are still in the church and my two younger siblings are not. Mm-hmm. So that's not saying that that same process worked for everyone or that all of us had the same access to our parents, mm-hmm. you know, but I know for me personally that that was like a foundation for when I began to wrestle with things like sexuality, mm-hmm. that, that, that jumping off point was super helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think as you were sharing something that I was struck by is that it seems that you from a very early age and your family were all really aware of the the possibility of a foundation being rotten and having to <laughs> to reckon with that and having to sort through um foundational beliefs. That I don't know that struck me as a a good place to begin with deconstruction for you later when it came to other, other really important um, topics for you to, to process through. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like the possibility of the foundation being rotten, but also the idea that truth does exist. Mm. Um, So those two things at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um. And that's, you know, uh, like, I'm not, like, super well-versed, but I did get, like, a philosophy minor. So I had a few classes Hey-o. where they had to, like, sit down and, like, parse well, some things and think about some things or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. that's still something that I like to do. And I know there's, like, plenty of debate on does truth exist? And mm-hmm. that's actually kind of a big, big line in, you know, the world, uh, uh, you know, the field of, you know, thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> of yeah. human thought is does truth exist? Um, but I, for me, the like idea that humans can get it wrong, Mm -hmm. um, but also there's still something there to be found that is true. Yeah. Um, it has been like, I I think that's a really great observation, Grant, because that's, I hadn't parsed it exactly that way, but that, that's like the, the like poles Mm -hmm. or like the guardrails. Humans can be wrong, but there is still something true and and you can, and you know as a christian you god wants you to find it so yeah. you probably can if you if, yeah. if you stick with the process yeah oh i love that i think um, i think those those two guardrails or those two themes is is deconstruction right i mean people are regardless of what um what their specific journey of deconstruction is people are genuinely searching for truth and they're genuinely realizing that people have lied to them or people have been gravely mistaken. 
Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that is a unifying thread. I mean, it might be impossible to pin down exactly everything that deconstruction is, but I think those those two things are are pretty central to it. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So, Johanna Marie, when you really got to a point of needing to wrestle through, like what sexuality and faith was going to look like for you is the fact that you have really grown up with that deconstruction or examining the preconceived faith that was handed to you do you think that having already worked through those things and continuing to work through them concerning race and your faith uh, do you think that prepared you for having to do the same thing with sexuality or did it do you think that those things are so different that it was a different journey completely? Um, I think it prepared, like, I think a, li- a little bit of both, right? I think it mm-hmm. definitely prepared yeah. me. Like, those guardrails were helpful. But also, there there is, like, a difference. Um, and I think, you know, uh, we are here talking as st- people who are still Christians and people who are side B. So there's some right. idea that, like, um, that, you know, I think to be side B, you kind of arrive to that scripture has something to tell us about morality and sexuality and that the interpretation of that throughout history might not be completely wrong. Um, (laughs) um, And I, I, I think for me, one of the big differences was with race. I was, it was far easier for me to see, that oh okay people are just wrong (laughs) like from the from the scripture what heaven looks like is is not um a culturally like uh what's the word i'm looking for but the word coming is monochrome but um homogenous even like yeah it's not monoethnic whitewashed so yeah Yeah, it's not monoethnic it's not (laughs) monocultural it's not monolingual even like yeah um yeah there's a lot happening apparently from revelation there's a lot happening up there man yeah. like and even like the journey of like peter and paul in ministering to the gentiles and kind of the underlying theology there um which is like god is going to reconcile us to himself you know through the jewish messiah you know like that yeah. Yeah. that's kind of and what this looks like is going to be super surprising. And I think kind of approaching sexuality in the same way, what I couldn't find for me, again, not not diving super head deep head first into all the theological discussions, but what I couldn't find was a similar reconciliation of, um, of like, of like gay sex basically like Mm -hmm. that at some point that we were divided on this and this was considered wrong but there's like a gradual understanding that this is not in fact the case i couldn't find that kind of like journey or that kind of processing either in the individual lives of the saints in scripture or that kind of thing so it was different partly because i think um i'm just gonna be really real it hurt more (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah um and um also 
like being black is something like uh, is something I knew about myself from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and being bi was something that maybe I knew, but was definitely in denial about uh-huh, for a very uh-huh. long time. Uh, right. <laughs> I don't know. Have you guys ever? Okay, so speaking of denial, have you ever been like at that tail end of denial where you can kind of watch? your denial thoughts like from a like third observatory part of your mind where you like do something like like an out-of-body experience yeah like you see a woman that's attractive and you see the tape your mind plays to be like well it's fine because she looks kind of masculine and then the other part of your mind is like that doesn't make any sense and like a third part is like what is happening yeah what are you like what is this thought process yeah i just i feel like that was like the full breaking point for me (laughs) is when i was driving down the car Saw someone that I was like, wow, they're attractive. Thought Initially thought it was a guy. At least thought it was a person assigned male at birth. Definitely was not a person assigned male at birth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait. Is it, wait, what just, like, just having, like, <laughs> brain breaking. But then not just my brain breaking, but being able to watch myself try to, try to, like, make it make sense. And being like, wait a second, this isn't, you're not, I think this means. (laughs) (laughs) That's right before it all falls down. You feel the deconstruction happening as it's occurring. Yeah. Wait a minute. Deconstruction in slow motion. Yes. And like watch your like brain not be able to reconcile facts, basic facts. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, And then you start to realize like, oh, wait, I didn't. I didn't just want to be his friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I just, I'm just not like a softy who wants a lot of friends. I mean, I'm that too, but, but also, <laughs> but also, yeah, that's, I feel like after the brain breaks, then you start like reviewing every interaction in your life being like, Oh, Oh crap. Yeah. Oh crap. Yeah. You I was, to, uh, yeah. You have to reexamine everything in your entire life. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what happens when you're like doing that. Like, deconstruction later in life where instead of like processing the whole time you're like having to like de- literally not just deconstruct your ideas but literally your life and your previous interactions yeah. and your friendships and your like motivations and also interesting i was cleaning my room and i found this tiny little diary of myself from 2005 which i was writing oh, an article wow. for a newsletter that i was going to publish to my youth group um with like with a few of us and just reading back through that and being like and it was very it was very fundamentalist like (laughs) it was one of those things where i was like i think we were still reflecting on like 9 11 and like is god judging america and why is that happening and i was doing the full it was not good y'all it was bad it was bad (laughs) And just reading that and, like, and like realizing, oh, by, like, 2007, you're going to be, like, I don't know why this girl and I are, like, super cool. Yeah. And she keeps asking me, do I think, like, lesbians on MySpace are cute? And I'm, like, well, yeah, My duh. Space. Doesn't everyone think yeah. that? <laughs> and Narrator. <laughs> Not everyone thought that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she's going to come out and I'm going to have to be, like... I don't know, like, doing that weird Christian thing, but 
that whole time in your head you're like your whole body is like sounding an alarm of like something has happening and i don't know why this feels this way and blah 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 why did i cry for two years about the fact that we weren't friends anymore and when i literally just knew her first semester like i don't know it, it just that that part of deconstruction i think is very um yeah it's it, it, it i understand why it's world shaking because yeah. having to re not just re-examine your beliefs but literally who am i even did i even really believe this did i um you know like what is my relationship to god um what yeah. do i believe about god what does god even believe about me yeah yeah um i i think that's that's really freaking hard for sure yeah and i think i think that that is an experience that is pretty universal for queer folks i'm not totally universal i suppose um but I think it really, just like you were talking about how you're growing up um, as a black woman in the South helped prepare you for deconstruction later. I think that that coming to terms and coming out of the closet for for LGBTQ folks in general can really prepare us well <laughs> to speak and think about deconstruction because we've had to do it before like this isn't this isn't a new approach to faith this is like the only approach we've really ever known for yeah for faith. well i mean we had a an adolescence where I, I too was sort of leaning into fundamentalism um at that time too but pretty early on we got to realize oh we we need to do some rearranging um, yeah. some re-examining so i think i think that experience can be really helpful even if it's painful in the moment yeah even just that understanding of simply changing what i think about something isn't necessarily going to change everything mm. about me i think that was one of the biggest things with deconstruction mm. and sexuality was it well if i just believe these right things then it will change how I feel or what my attractions are, or what I'm tempted towards and recognizing the fact that just changing, changing my mind didn't change reality. <laughs> like mm -hmm. That was a really disappointing thing for me. Yeah. Uh, was just not knowing how that was going to look, how that was going to work. And like being able to, to see and understand that, those doubts and those questions are not contrary to faith. Um, it's one of the my favorite things that Rachel Held Evans used to say all of the time was, "Doubt is a part of faith. You know that it's a strong faith that that she would be accused in fundamentalist circles of losing her faith or walking away from her faith because she questioned things and." while we ended up arriving in very different places with a lot of things, that idea of questioning being a sign of active faith was something that always really resonated with me. Um, because yeah. if, if you can't doubt and if you worship a God that says you can't question and you can't doubt it, it's not a very worship worthy 
God, you know, like if he can't handle our questions and our doubts, what's the point? Yeah. And, and it's been so encouraging and strengthening for me, you know, lining up with our theme of resilience for this season of seeing that that sexuality conversation was just one more opportunity for me to see I can question to the bottom of a bottomless pit about my sexuality and about what scripture has to say about how God created humanity and he's big enough to handle it. Like he's handled my questions about denominational struggles. He's handled my Mm -hmm. questions about Arminianism and Calvinism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's answered, you know, like all of these things that have been different journeys of deconstruction and reconstruction has led me to a place where I, I kind of feel now that that is how I live life. It's just a, a constant state of remodeling and reexamining and reviewing. Even if I continue to come to the same conclusion, it just feels like more of a confirmation every time I do it of, okay, I think God and I are tracking in the right place because I can take this thing apart and put it back together and, and there's a healthy amount of mystery of tension and of seeing the fact that even if I am completely wrong on this, that God and his grace and mercy still has my back on it and is not going to judge or condemn because my finite little human brain is completely wrong about something that I'm attempting to think through Mm. about him. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I really, I really love the theme of like resilience um, and like especially with like doubt because I feel like that's like the main thing like will like will I will does my faith have resilience <laughs> um, does my understanding what does my love for God have resilience um, and I I I would say for me like the main point of resilience has been that God loves me and God loves us as humans. And that, and I feel like it sounds super trite, right? Like Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. Um, and I think part of the reason it sounds trite, right? Is because we've lived lives where, where the church who was supposed to, you know, be an example of God's love hasn't loved us. So it become and not only hasn't loved us, but has purposefully taught <laughs> in the many cases that God doesn't love us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, um, I feel like the darkest night of the soul for me wasn't so much like, is the Bible true? Or what about mm. Christianity? I, I've had those questions and I've worked through a lot of them, at least to my own current satisfaction. I'm sure I'll revisit them again because that's yeah. like you're saying, Becca, that's kind of the, that's the kind of life I think that God wants us to live is bringing those things to him. But for me, the like darkest night of like, am I losing faith? um, Mm. Was definitely around does God like who I am? And again, part of that had to do with race because the major Christian voices in our life and our life, my family's life at that time were people who didn't think about that, who Mm. um, genuinely did not like many people who were not white um mm. they would make exceptions like I, I know i've had conversations where people are like well we don't mean your family we're talking about those people you're good you're fine and it's like 
But that they're us, though. That's literally my actual blood family you're talking about, and cousins and friends and people through history. Like, you can't parse it like that, and they didn't really understand that you can't. Um, that you can't, like, not. <laughs> but point being, like, that's, like, the first place to struggle with, and even different ways people interpreted the Bible to support that. Um, you know, Martin Luther King has a famous part of. Um, I, if I remember correctly, it's part of the I Have a Dream speech, but feel free to edit that out if that is not correct. Uh, <laughs> um, but a uh, famous part of one of his speeches where he talks about what the word darkness means, and at least what it means in English, and the implications mm -hmm. it's had throughout Western mm -hmm. history, and like how detrimental that is to Black people's understanding of themselves when you're literally a dark person, mm -hmm. and people associate everything low and evil and bad with that it yeah it like oh well like to the point of like in song of solomon when the woman says i am dark but lovely or some translations uh, say dark and lovely it's like which yeah. which one of those do you choose for that mm. article or um conjunction rather but or and that changes that um yeah and then of course then talking about sexuality so like I feel like a lot of those things were brought to the Lord and there was a lot of healing there. Um, and it was out of that healing that I was able to like watch that denial process in my mind and be like, Oh, there's something else we need to like think about here. And then having to go not fully back to the drawing board, but back to the drawing board with the understanding that God does love us um, and love everyone. And it does seem to be true that people are like either born gay or be, like whatever whatever <laughs> idea you have about how people yeah. get gay <laughs> however you want to phrase that yeah. right however you, however you got gay be... <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like that <laughs> um but it doesn't seem to be something you can catch from other people and it does yeah, seem to be something right. that people aren't able to fix so what is god's response to those things in scripture and does he like is this a sign of him throwing us away <laughs> like did i make some choice in the womb that where god was like oh, we're giving her over to her yeah. depraved lusts you know like that kind of like literally having to break down those ideas and figure out what is going on and also not just figure out by myself but becoming theologically somewhat theologically literate reading how other people in other traditions and other times have interpreted these yeah. um, passages in ways different from my fundamentalist upbringing, right? Yeah. Like, um, mm. and like really just having to like spend combining that with like spending so much time literally in prayer, in worship, in the presence of God. Because I think kind of like one or the other doesn't really, at least for me, one or the other didn't really work. If I spent all my time in prayer and worship, I wasn't really able to hear the Lord. And I wasn't really able to like, um, like I, the questions would just circle mm -hmm. back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And if I only spent time um, in like this intellectual kind of trying to understand what the scriptures in the original languages and the way they were interpreted in and how that applied to my life. It didn't address the actual emotional need hmm. to understand and really oh, receive yeah. the love of God. And I, 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 
I'll be honest, I think that is one of the biggest parts of deconstruction. I, I think for it to be something that draws you into faith and not away from faith is spending literally doing both at the same time. If you only pursue one or the other, you won't get answers to questions of your mind or you won't get answers to questions of your heart. Um, and that's, I think, another thing I can thank my parents for is they were, I mean, it, this it was a, a movement in the church, understanding the love of God that kind of branched off of that like 70s Jesus movement. And that was like their basis for faith is understanding intellectually and understanding um, emotionally um, and really re like literally receiving emotionally the love of, and spiritually the love of God and what that empowers you to do. Um, but yeah, like re I, I really do think that's at least for me been the key to deconstruction that grows my faith and matures my faith is um, both this intellectual and like theological investigation and really like spending time in the very in a very charismatic way <laughs> um in like receiving the love of the lord on a spiritual level um an mm -hmm. emotional level um, yeah. especially when other people can't show that to you mm. which i think we go through a lot <laughs> yeah i think that's so healthy to in light of the fact that in much of the West and in Western culture exported all over the world, like we tend to be so obsessed with finding out the right answers um, mm. to intellectual questions <laughs> and spending a lot of time diagramming and listing <laughs> and um, balancing those sorts of things um, instead of recognizing that at the center of the faith is love and not um intellectual knowledge you know we can yes. be so obsessed with finding certainty on any number of theological questions and neglecting the work of love mm. um and i think our charismatic siblings might actually be able to to help with that in a in a very particular way. I know I um, went to to school in uh, Springfield, Missouri, sort of the the buckle one of the buckles of the Bible Belt. I know there's lots of towns that vie for that title, but <laughs> one of the buckles. And um, there were a ton of charismatic churches there. The Assemblies of God is is headquartered there, and I think that's something I learned. Um, in my time there, as I was really struggling with trying to find certainty in my own process of deconstruction, I went to one church in particular that became a home for me, and we would spend a half hour in worship. Mm. It was just, I don't know, glorious to be able to rest in the presence of a person and not have to work out a long math equation about certain ideas you know not, not that they weren't 
super intellectual too at this church. I mean, it was very yeah. intellectually rigorous, um, very um, intellectually satisfying too. But the worship reminded me that this is really about a person, <laughs> a person yeah. who wants to relate to me. Um, and the mystery of how he's done that in mm-hmm. a human being. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry, I got a little soapboxy. Well, no, to to pass it back to our Catholic siblings. <laughs> I mean, they kind of did it first. You know, one of yeah. my uh, favorite inspirations and one who I say, like my mom kind of reverse named me after is Jean-Marie Guyon. Um, mm-hmm. She writes this beautiful book called A Short and Easy Method of Prayer. Uh, meant to mm-hmm. teach people who hadn't had much exposure to the scriptures, especially, um, you know, this is when people are like developing the printing press and really like, should we translate it in the Bible in common languages? And like, how should we do this? There, that debate's going on. She's yeah. wanting to guide people who want more of God into experiencing the, another name for that book is experiencing the depth of depths of Jesus Christ. Um, mm. And, um, the, uh, like honestly everyone should read it it's short it's literally a short and easy method of prayer <laughs> um, <laughs> um it's I a like very that. short book it's <laughs> in the public domain you can probably find it on archive.org but just as a starting place for resting in the presence of god um it's mm-hmm. uh a beautiful ecstatic um just like gift to the church i think personally yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, like that. And I think part of it, I think for those who are intellectually minded, which I am, like part of me is like, oh, this sure. is dumb. <laughs> like, answer the question. <laughs> the problem is, actually, because humans, we are emotional. You can answer the question perfectly. We can give you a logically balanced, perfect answer. But if your heart right. doesn't feel love, then people are like, yeah, that's true. I can see how it's true. You've literally gone through the proofs and done it all but it's unsatisfying and that's the point part where i like aha when we like i talk to other people and we're deconstructed like you're unsatisfied with something that you can see is true that means at least in my experience that means there's something emotional there Mm. that has to be satisfied at the same time as this intellectual question um and you kind of see it with kids right when they say hey you know the kid is mad that mom and dad are late to pick them up. Mom and dad are like, hey, sorry, there was an accident in front of our car. Um, so it took some time, but we're here now and we love you and we're going home. Let's eat dinner. That perfectly logical and understandable, even to a child answer, doesn't satisfy the like 30, 45 minutes that they felt abandoned. Mm. It doesn't solve right. that, even though they know intellectually yeah, I've been in the car before. There have been accidents that slows people down. Mom and dad weren't really leaving me or they didn't forget me. It just happened. And that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, That like pace, you know, step-by-step answer doesn't solve feeling like for 45 minutes. Wow. I'm alone in the world. Mm -hmm. And unless that's like addressed, um, you know, kids grow up feeling abandonment issues sometimes even with parents who are loving with parents who do care, yeah. with parents who are invested and like did all they could to show that I, there's like, I don't know, it's such an interesting thing to me. And 
to really learn about that and then apply that to my relationship with God where he's given me like a great answer but I didn't take the time to like sit with him <laughs> and like let him put his arm around me yeah I'm gonna mm. get into the charismatic woo woo <laughs> whatever Ooh, but let him put his right. arm around me for real <laughs> and like yeah. receive the fact that he loved me he died for me he sees me he's literally been up all along with me on this journey the whole time um and has something to say to me in particular and not in a way that excludes me from the community of the church or not in the super individualistic thing that where it doesn't matter what god is saying to like the body or anything Mm -hmm. um but also that he's literally infinite so he can do that (laughs) Mm -hmm. he can talk to all of us and one of us at the same time yeah yeah that yeah his infinite nature being able to wrestle with that really has helped me a lot move away from that Western idea of certainty. Like for the longest time I was just obsessed with, I need to gather all of the things I need to know all of the things. Like if I could just upload a systematic theology to my head, then I will be able to love and obey God better. Yeah. And recognizing that the more, I was gathering knowledge the more I was just a jerk because my certainty Mm. was actually decreasing my relational ability, not only with God, but with other people. Like the more I thought I was figuring out about God, the more I was like, Oh, I can totally figure out your ways. And like, I was shrinking him and putting him in this box because I was so um, just desirous of certainty. Whereas the journey he's had me on the last few years is much more of a just walk with me and trust me. Like you're not working on a checklist of things to know about me. You, you want to know me. And the more that that happens and the more that I see ways that he surprises me in how he interacts with the world that he's created, Mm. the more humility I'm able to have and the more loosely I hold these theological things that I think are so definite that I can see people that believe completely different things about really not important stuff and say, I understand why you believe that. I, th- I think I still disagree with it, but be able to see, I could just as easily be wrong mm. as I think you are wrong. And, be able to live in that tension so that instead of wanting to prove everybody else is wrong and I'm the one that's right, sitting in that tension of, I could be completely wrong about this mm-hmm. and that's okay yeah. because that may be something that God reveals to me later, or it may be something that's part of the process, or it may be something that I think until the day I'm face to face with Jesus. And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you totally got that one wrong. And I'm going to be like, okay. And yeah having that type of belief and understanding about how the world works has really changed even my understanding of deconstruction so that now it's not something when I start questioning a belief, it doesn't send me into a panic the way it used to of, Oh my gosh, my whole faith is falling (laughs) apart, but it's become more a part of that faith building. Yeah. Yeah. I think as, as you were speaking about, um, about confidence and about humility, I think that's a much better way to frame 
um, journeys of deconstruction for the believer rather than framing it in terms of uncertainty and certainty, which uncertainty and certainty are opposites. They, they like they they can't fit together. That's that's uh, a, a huge tension between them. Trying to find certainty when you feel very uncertain, but yeah. confidence right. and humility can coexist. <laughs> you yeah. can do yeah. both of those at the same time. You can have confidence. Oh, that's beautiful. In in the most essential things, in the character of God, in yeah. His love for you, and you can have humility in in everything else. Um, and there's no tension between them. (laughs) You can be humble and confident, uh, and, and true humility requires confidence and true confidence requires humility. So I think that's, that's just a better way to frame deconstruction, um, less, less like coldly intellectual, less, less sort of analytical and more holistic. Yeah. There goes Grant destroying another one of my parents. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just collecting what you said, and I was just I was just rephrasing it. I was really drawing I like from you. That yeah, I like having a paradigm crushed on a beautiful day. I, that's good stuff. <laughs> Most of the time, they need to be crushed. I love that. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Well, Johanna, as we are wrapping up this incredibly encouraging and helpful conversation about deconstruction and faith. We have a question that we've been asking all of our guests this season, and it really ties into this conversation as well, that if you could go back and talk to your past self at any age, um, what, what would you, what would you say to yourself? Oh gosh, this is a lot. (laughs) So yeah, many, sorry about that. So many things at so many ages. Um, if I had to pick one, um, I think, yeah, honestly, this is super hard, y'all. Um, and not even like oh my god life full of regrets though yes i regret some things in life uh, right. I, th- I think it's, it's a very not humble life to not have regretted anything you've ever done um but at the same time seeing like the journey that god's brought you on it's kind of hard to like balance that but ooh. Hmm. I feel like Henry would call me out for like not spilling the tea on the, on this, but I would go back to, to, to <laughs> myself and just say, not everyone has to be a part of the same group of friends. Mm. Oh. It is okay. Yeah, no, to, that's huge. Yeah. Um, partly because and- not even like changing those friendships per se, but not trying to make everyone agree because um, I think there is there are some contributing to the like certainty versus uncertainty pride versus humility in like my late teens early 20s that came from oh. trying to just I'm like I'm gonna make it all work everyone's gonna agree we're all yeah. gonna hash it out 
and we're all going to arrive at certain truth, and we're all going to think the same thing, and it's like, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> um, let the Lord do his work in each person's life and kind of see where that takes you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a, I, I, a... I won't spill too much on the background for that, but that's definitely one of them. <laughs> you're restrained. Yeah, you are, you're allowed to keep your tea in your, your teacup for that one. That, that's fine. Well, Johan Marie, thank you so much for spending some time with us and, yeah. and spilling plenty of tea about, about other things <laughs> yes. you have in all of our old age, so much wisdom to impart oh to the young ones. <laughs> Please, God, no. <laughs> As someone still in my 20s. I- oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. Grant, our resident gaby. It's-, <laughs> it's been a joy, a joy to chat with you. Thank you so much for sharing of yourself and of your life. Um, real wisdom with us. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Yeah. I enjoyed being with (laughs) y'all.